Thank you for choosing this British Journal of Sports and Medicine podcast. My name is Sean Carmody and I'm a doctor working in London. Today I'm delighted to welcome Nick Vanderhorst to this podcast. Nick is the first team physio- physiotherapist with the Go Ahead Eagles in the Dutch First Division and is doing a PhD in football medicine. Nick, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Today we're going to discuss the holy grail of football medicine, preventing, managing and preventing the recurrence of hamstring strain injuries. Nick was recently lead author on a paper which examined decision making for return to play following hamstring strain injury. So Nick, keeping your research in mind, can you describe the important criteria a medical team must consider when allowing a player to return to play following a hamstring injury? Yeah, sure. Um, of course, uh, the return to play decision is always uh, a difficult decision and it uh, puts us clinicians to the test. Uh, no coach will, in football will ever provide you with the time to fully eliminate all potential risk factors and that's why uh, yeah, we're looking for criteria-based uh, return to play clearance and make a risk assessment. Um, because it's always a risk assessment between the importance of the upcoming event and of course the risk of re-injury uh, from uh, playing again. And if we consider the high hamstring re-injury rates in football, it's really important that as clinicians we have solid tools to provide uh, a comprehensive overview of the re-injury risk after clearing the athlete for play. So to provide these tools, we have conducted a Delphi consensus procedure. Um, This is basically a series of questionnaires aiming to achieve consensus among a panel of experts. And our experts were recruited uh, through the FIFA Medical Centers of Excellence Network which is a network uh, within football uh, uh, with expertise in uh, uh, football injury management and also hamstring injury management, of course. And we were very delighted that we included many of the top guns in uh, hamstring injury management, so we were really pleased and thankful for that. This project resulted in the return to play model for hamstring injuries in football. And as you mentioned, in this uh, model, key criteria to medically clear a player for full match availability uh, were included and some of these criteria were for instance absence of pain on palpation, uh, absence of pain during stretch uh, testing or during strength testing, uh, absence of pain during functional performance, similar hamstring flexibility, psychological readiness was also deemed important and of course performance on field testing. Um, and furthermore it was also included that MRI findings should not guide the return to play decisions. And there were some opposing views uh, to whether similar eccentric strength should be included or excluded as a criterion to clear uh, a player for play after uh, after rehab. Thanks, Nick. And in your research, there was some disagreement as to whether eccentric strength should be considered when returning to play. Why do you think that was? Yeah, this, this topic was really uh, intensively discussed in our study and uh, it took four rounds to ultimately... Uh, yeah, decide to, to have a consensus on not having a consensus. Um, the discrepancy was about whether at return to play similar eccentric hamstring strength should be a criterion or not. And experts that replied yes to this uh, stated that the eccentric phase is the phase where the injury occurs. So similarities should be strived for uh, before returning uh, to play. Um, they also stated that strength asimilarities are uh, of need or need to be eliminated as deficiencies can increase the injury risk uh, after clearing a player from play. Um, but there was also an opposing view where experts stated that similar eccentric hamstring strength should not be a criteria for uh, return to play clearance. 
And these experts had different arguments, for instance, that strength measurements are not functional and that the reliability of strength measurements is influenced by many factors. But it was also argued that uh, at return to play, uh, strength measurements should go beyond the pre-injury level or uninjured side. So similar hamstring strength is maybe not even enough. Um, because after all, in spite of the similar scores at baseline, the player still got injured. And from a clinical perspective, I feel that similar uh, hamstring strength, although I acknowledge the difficulties regarding the strength measurements, is something that should be strived for during rehab uh, and beyond return to play, but it's not necessary to uh, include this as a criterion uh, for return to play clearance. Uh, I remember a paper, I believe it was from Hans Toll, who showed that at return to play, a lot of football players still have isokinetic deficits, and in spite of these isokinetic deficits, they could still return to play. So uh, there is a role probably, but maybe the, the role is more in rehab than at return to play itself. Thank you, Nick. So off air, we discussed the role of MRI in determining return to play. I know your colleague in the Netherlands, Dr. Hus Rering, has published an interesting paper on this. On a practical level, for a football club with very little financial limitations, can MRI before returning to play have a role in contributing to the player's psychological readiness to return? Yeah, great question and uh, a very interesting topic uh, as well, I think. Um, from a scientific perspective, I can hear Gus uh, and also Hans Stolt uh, yelling bye-bye MRI, which was a paper in the BGSM uh, uh, a while back. Um, they and also some other research groups have shown the limited value of MRI with regards to return to play. Um, they showed that MRI does not add value in predicting hamstring re-injury risk and that most hamstrings still have some uh, positive MRI findings at return to play. So normalization of these MRI images does not seem necessary for successful return to play. And I also uh, remember a recent great study from Arnlaug Wangenstein. Um, uh, she published a paper in the BGSM as well, showing that MRI has no additional value uh, over patient history and clinical examination when you want to predict the time to return to play. So from a scientific point of view, one could indeed say bye-bye MRI. Uh, but of course, here is your player and you tell him based on your rehab progression and the clinical examination that he's fine and that he can play in the next match, but the player is still a little bit worried and his agent or maybe his wife or his teammate or his coach uh, told him he needed an MRI to see if all is well. And ultimately, in, in spite of the fact that I still have to meet the first player that can read an MRI, uh, the MRI is made and shown to the player and he's told he's fine. And like some magical tool, the MRI brings calmness to the return to play decision and the player is confident about his ability to play again. Um, I think we can't deny the fact that the additional value uh, to the player's mental state and the calmness it brings to the rehab process uh, has some value at this point. But I think it's more a responsibility of all members of the medical staff in football and then also any other sport to educate our patients and also their stakeholders uh, about the limited value of MRIs. And we need to build trust that our physical examination and our clinical eye during the, the rehab process is sufficient to analyze whether the player is ready or not and that MRI has no uh, or, or very limited value uh, when it comes to return to play decision making. So despite the, the kind of established evidence now for interventions such as uh, the Nordic hamstring exercise uh, and we now have a better understanding of workload in football, 
hamstring strain injuries are still on the rise in, in, in professional football. Why do you think this is, Nick? Yeah, this was uh, indeed shown by a paper from Jan Ekstrand and Marcus Walden and Christian Torborg in the British Um And they showed that the hamstring injury rates have increased by 4% annually for over, the, over the last decade. Um, this increase in hamstring injuries was found in training injuries, but match injuries have remained stable over the same period of time. And they argued as well, I believe, that uh, and I, for my own involvement in professional football, I'd have to agree that this is the most important argument, that the higher hamstring injury rates during training happen because training sessions are getting tougher, uh, with more high-intensity actions to replicate uh, today's football, where the game tempo has increased tremendously over the last 10 years. And this higher training load leads to a higher hamstring injury risk in training. But because the load is high, higher in training, uh, matches are not considered spikes anymore. So maybe therefore the, the match injury rates have remained the same. And I think a second major issue might be that now we have evidence-based hamstring injury prevention programs. I think nobody can uh, deny the evidence on the effect of Nordics with regards to hamstring injury prevention in football. But as uh, Mr. Barr showed, uh, again with Christian and Mr. Ekstrand, that these uh, hamstring injury prevention programs are not adopted in professional football. So we also did a follow-up in Holland on our study population uh, after our RCT, and we came to the same conclusion in amateur football that players uh, know about the effectiveness of uh, prevention programs, but it's not being conducted on a, uh, on a steady basis. So prevention is up for grasp, but it's not implemented, and therefore we cannot expect a reduction of the hamstring injury rates if the risk goes up due to the increased intensity of the game, but no additional prevention is added. And finally, to close this podcast, Nick, can you provide the listeners with your key clinical tips for any medical staff working in football to determine return to play following hamstring injury? I would have to say that there are three uh, important tips for medical staff uh, working in football. Make sure the player went through an intensive criteria-based rehabilitation program leading up to return to play. Provide a criteria-based clearance at return to play. And don't make the return to play decision your own. So for the first one, um, the player needs to have a have completed a, a criteria-based rehab, and this helps a, pro a proper progression through the different stages of uh, physiological recovery. And you can detect any deficiencies, maybe on running biomechanics, uh, strength deficiencies, or flexibility uh, deficiencies, in an early stage of the rehabilitation. And if the criteria-based rehab helps to detect these deficiencies in an early stage of the rehab, they keep it, can be addressed. Uh, in an early stage as well, so they don't become a problem when you want to provide clearance for a return to play in the end stage of the rehabilitation. Uh, I will say push the rehab, but don't push the return to play. So secondly, uh, not only the rehabilitation of course needs to be criteria based, but the same goes for return to play clearance. Um, as previously discussed, we published this model uh, based on a Delphi consensus procedure for return to play after hamstring injuries in football. And the aim for this model is to provide uh, the research population with a, a definition and clear criteria for return to play, but also to provide these criteria for clinicians to support the, a return to play decision. And in a nutshell, uh, the most important aspects are, like we discussed, MRI findings should not guide the return to play decision, but absence of pain, similar flexibility, mental readiness, and especially the specific field tests and performance tests 
should guide the return to play decision. And on the performance tests, there might be a difference uh, with regards to the level of play, of course, because at the elite level, medical staff members can use the GPS data to compare pre-injury data on sprints, accelerations, decelerations, and distances to the data at return to play. Uh, and you want the player to achieve these, his top speeds again, and if he's holding back on his sprinting speeds, for instance, or his, his distances, the GPS will tell you. But at the amateur level, this is more difficult. So uh, field tests, such as the repeated sprintability test or the shuttle run test, or maybe a T-test, uh, and different acceleration, deceleration drills, especially in a fatigued state, can say a lot about the player's hamstring health and his readiness uh, to return to play. And for the last part, uh, not making the decision your own, I would uh, yeah, certainly advise every clinician to read the article that was published by Ian Schreer in the BGSM uh, on the START framework. In his publication, he uh, provides a framework in which the risk and the risk tolerance of return to play is assessed. And in this framework, the health status is assessed through the analysis of medical factors, such as injury symptoms, physical examination and functional tests. But also an evaluation is made of the risk from participating in sports again, so which is dependent, of course, on, on the level of play or whether it's a winger or a goalkeeper. And these two steps, uh, the uh, state of the hamstring health and, of course, the, the load on the hamstring are steps that we as a medical staff can certainly uh, judge. But there are also some decision modifiers that need to be considered to come to the final return to play decision. For instance, what if a player can earn a contract in the next game, making him financially independent? Or what if it's a Champions League final? Sure, that's, that would alter the decision if compared to when it would, for instance, be a friendly match. So often other stakeholders than the medical staff, maybe the athlete himself or the club coach, uh, contribute to the risk assessment of the return to play decision. And therefore, the return to play decision should always be a multidisciplinary decision where the risk of sports participation is considered against the risk tolerance threshold. So, and maybe the last tip, um, uh, if you're not entirely sure about clearing the athlete for return to play, there's a saying in uh, our fantastic world of hamstring injury management, which goes, wait until the hamstring is fully healed and then wait a week longer. That's a great way to close this podcast. Nick, you've, you've mentioned lots of great research, which I'll link to the listeners below this podcast. Uh, so that's all for today. Uh, I was talking to Nick van der Horst, who's the first team physiotherapist at the Go Ahead Eagles and a PhD student in football medicine. I hope you enjoy this BGSM podcast. Mm-hmm.